Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, May 24th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the health department rolls out a telehealth program to help combat HIV transmission. Then the Mississippi Early Voting Initiative Coalition urges Governor Reeves to call a legislative special session to address the ballot initiative process. And state economist Corey Miller is feeling cautiously optimistic. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Health experts say there is an HIV epidemic in Mississippi and a new telemedicine program aims to reduce transmission of the disease. The Mississippi Department of Health recently announced the Teleprep program, which will provide PrEP pills for free statewide uh, through a telehealth line. PrEP, or pre-exposure prophylaxis, is a highly effective method of preventing transmission, according to Dr. James Brock, associate professor at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Brock says PrEP allows those potentially at risk to prevent contracting HIV. But as he tells our Kobe Vance, worries there are still challenges regarding access and the stigma of consulting a physician about sexually transmitted infections. The idea there is that for um, individuals that are at higher risk of exposure to HIV, they take HIV prevention therapy uh, all the time uh, in, in case they're exposed in the future. Those sorts of things are hard to predict, and so it's, it's easier to prevent it on the, back, on the front end. And how effective is this medication? Yeah, well, it depends on how well it's taken. Um, it actually is pretty forgiving for missed doses. And so for individuals that are uh, taking it, uh, you know, five, six, seven days out of the week, uh, it's in the upper 90s percent effective. Um, for people that take it every single day, uh, it's so effective that um, breakthrough infections are very rare and uh, something that ends up being reported in the medical literature uh, because because breakthrough infections rarely happen in people that are taking it uh, every single day. But for people that are missing a lot of doses of the PrEP medication, uh, it, it, the effectiveness drops off quite a bit if, if you're not taking it regularly. 
Uh, thankfully, you know, right now it's one pill a day, and that's as good as it gets. But we're hopeful that in the coming year, an injectable form of PrEP will come out where someone can get an intramuscular injection probably every eight weeks, uh, and that will be as effective as oral medication, and um, it won't it won't uh, require someone to have to be very adherent to taking a pill every single day. And so, when it comes to accessing these uh, this medication, uh, is this something that is has been historically difficult to get? Well, yeah, there are lots of reasons for that. Um, I think the Gardasil uh, vaccine is a good example of that, where things that pertain to sex, you know, and sexual health are often kind of taboo. People don't want to talk about STD screening and prevention. Um, uh, healthcare providers often don't feel comfortable talking with patients about sex and and, uh, and sexual health. Uh, there are not a lot of, historically, a lot of um, providers in the state who feel comfortable prescribing these antiretroviral medicines. Historically, they've been kind of a specialty sort of medicine. Uh, PrEP is one that's really not, you know, these medications are fairly easy to prescribe and um, very safe. But, uh, but there's still a lot of, um, there are not a lot of available PrEP providers in the state, uh, you know, that continues to increase slowly over time. Um, and, you know, and in Mississippi's healthcare infrastructure overall, it's difficult for a lot of Mississippians to access primary care and preventive services uh, for, you know, just a number of reasons. But you gotta, you kind of have to be savvy and know about them to be able to tap into those resources, right? And so with programs like um, this new program from the Department of Health that offers free PrEP uh, via telehealth, um, how, how big of an impact do you think that could have in Mississippi? It could have a tremendous impact. Um, awareness of these kinds of programs and uptake of these kinds of programs, uh, you know, is always a challenge. So, you know, getting the information out to Mississippians um, that these services are offered but also getting people's foot in the door, you know, is always a challenge. The data usually shows that people that are at risk often underestimate the risk of, of acquiring uh, or being exposed to HIV. Uh, so there's a big disparity in getting uh, awareness of HIV risk. Uh, so so that, that's a big challenge is, is getting sort of the foot in the door. Retention is also a challenge. Um, PrEP tends to be something that, uh, patients often enroll in and either stay on it sporadically or just drop out after a short period of time. So we have a, a big challenge in keeping people on PrEP long-term. With uh, teleprep, that's really exciting, you know, not only being free, but uh, also uh, potential for outreach for rural Mississippians or individuals who you know, are resident to go to a PrEP clinic because PrEP clinics are often STD clinics or HIV clinics as well. Uh, so that if stigma is a barrier, then um, tele teleprep is also really exciting. Uh, Dr. James Brock is an associate professor at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Dr. Brock, thank you for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you.
More than 70% of persons living with HIV in Mississippi are black, and many live in rural areas without accessible health care. Emerging programs like teleprep in Mississippi are one part of addressing the statewide epidemic, says Gerald Gibson, mobile clinic manager at the Open Arms Healthcare Center in Jackson. But he says the areas that need telemedicine the most don't have broadband access. That's going to make a great difference, but also we have to make sure that individuals have access to telehealth. So we are talking about in the sense of broadband, which I know President Biden is working on infrastructure issues now, and we know that the pandemic exposed the lack of broadband and the lack of Internet capabilities in some areas. So in certain rural areas of Mississippi, the message may not get there. So we're still talking about, even though it's telehealth, we're still talking about lack of access. So when we talk about equity, we still may not be the playing field still may not be level. So we're still talking about systematic change and systematic infrastructure that we need in order to get the message there. So the message is that still may not reach. It's a great concept, and it's something that's much needed throughout Mississippi, but we're still talking about lack of access, and we still can be talking about stigma. Stigma still is unaddressed in Mississippi, and it's the thing that still stops people from accessing services, whether they're free, confidential, or anything of that nature. And stigma, would that go for things like PrEP or would it also go for testing and things like that? It goes for everything. A person that's seen is going to get an HIV test, they're, all, they're already going to stigmatize and say they must be having some type of same gender loving or to be more derogatory, some type of homosexual relations. So getting an HIV test is stigmatized in the sense of individuals getting an HIV test, they must be having some type of homosexual relationship. And now from uh, some of my research, I've seen some some of the most high prevalence areas are especially up in the Delta, um, and which is a predominantly black uh, area, the, uh, area of the state. And uh, HIV in Mississippi, it seems to predominantly uh, um, occupy the African-American population here in the state um, in terms correct. of infections. Um, can you talk about that and, and how those yeah, correlate? Well, we, we know that African-Americans are eight times more likely than their white counterparts to uh, acquire HIV. They're 10 times more likely to acquire syphilis and gonorrhea and chlamydia. So we are saying that, yes, it's definitely a health disparity there. It's the messaging. It's also the lack of access. Uh, the ones who are born in the population, people of the LGBTQI community, we talk about underinsured and underinsured and uninsured individuals. They do not see health care as a right. They definitely does not put, they put an emphasis on sexual health care. Can you talk about the myth that um, HIV is only an issue in the uh, LGBTQ community. Oh, yeah, most definitely. That's something that, that that started from in the eighties when HIV first was it was first even noticed, and you had uh, certain presidents that wouldn't even say the word. And so, therefore, it has been a myth that it is God's wrath on the LGBTQ community, specifically uh, gay men and trans persons. So, individuals that if anybody that's having a condomless sex that do not know the status of the individual because we know that uh, black women or African-American women are acquiring HIV at greater rates now as well. So it's not just a gay man's disease. It's a disease of opportunity when you have condom sex and you are, may not be in the sense of, oh, let's even talk about individuals that use uh, intravenous drug users. It's a disease for individuals like that, too, that may not be making the best decisions at that time because there are their mindset. Is not uh, they're not all the way there in their in their mindset because they're on some type of substance at that moment. Uh, do you think in areas like Jackson that also have a very high uh, prevalence uh, of uh, HIV, uh, do you think that this is going to make a difference in areas like that? 
Oh, of course it will. But it, it just, it's still it's still about access. It's still about access. And then we also have to make it less stigmatizing. So first we have to educate, bring the awareness, and provide the access. So once we do that, it can be less stigmatizing. But we also have to normalize. We have to normalize HIV testing. That's why we are developed a Becoming a Healthy You program, which encompasses HIV testing. But it also encompasses the whole wellness check with uh, blood pressure, uh, glucose, cholesterol screening, and BMI screening. So what we try to do is take a bite out of stigma because with the thing about stigma is we have to peel it back like an onion. It's one layer at a time. And different communities are more stigmatized than others. Gerald Gibson is the mobile clinical manager at the Opens Arms Healthcare Center in Jackson. Uh, uh, Gerald, thank you for talking with us today. Thank you so much. Thank you. A multi-year plan is underway at the Department of Health that aims to end the HIV epidemic in the state. Coming up, one activist wants a special legislative session to address Mississippi's ballot initiative process. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Several Mississippi ballot initiatives are stuck in limbo after a Supreme Court ruling found the state's initiative process to be unconstitutional. Kelly Jacobs is co-chair of a coalition to establish early voting via ballot initiatives. In an interview with MPB's Rob Lane, she urges swift action to ensure that current initiatives can move ahead. Well, what's very urgent is that the Secretary of State or Attorney General ask for a rehearing so that the court can change their decision uh, on how they uh, treated our Constitution, which was really with negligence. In my opinion, they are supposed to be the protectors of our Constitution of 1890, uh, which has been changed many times through the years because the people of Mississippi wanted it changed. But the people are supposed to change it, not the courts. And last Friday, the courts took a big old axe to it, and they got rid of our initiative process. And that is not something that can be easily changed. It took years for it to get on there. And uh, the urgency is that there's only 14 days to ask for a rehearing. It has to be requested by the Secretary of State or the Attorney General. Um, Or we can have some bandages put on there and legislatively fix this. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about the bandaging. In an earlier statement, you said that we know that they, the Mississippi legislature, cannot amend the Mississippi Constitution of 1890, but they can legislate what you called a temporary repair. Can you expound on that a little bit? What might that look like? Well, if a special session is called, they could legalize marijuana and give the people of Mississippi what they voted for, uh, which was medical marijuana only. Um, And they could say that we will have a ballot initiative process and um, they could uh, shadow what has uh, what the process is and what has been done uh, so that there is a bandage on there. And and those of us who have initiatives like myself with the uh, Mississippi Early Voting Initiative, 
Um, there is a, a recreational marijuana initiative. There's an expanding Medicaid initiative. All of us can continue to collect signatures. They would just change the parameters or the map to reflect the four congressional districts. Now, obviously, Governor Reeves, as you know, has not committed to calling a legislative special session. Do you think that there's any political incentive to delay addressing the initiative mess? The reason why there are so many initiatives is because the legislature has failed to give the people what we want. Uh, For decades, they have wanted legal marijuana. And I was the sponsor of Initiative 47 and 48 in 2014 and 2015 to regulate marijuana like alcohol and require the governor to pardon nonviolent cannabis crimes. And that initiative failed. And there have been about six other marijuana initiatives, at least since mine, because the people want legal marijuana. Uh, We're adults. And we want to make our decisions. And the governor has come out against us. I, I believe he called anybody who supported Initiative 65 a thug. So uh, I can understand that uh, he has his personal opinion. But the ballot box had 74% wanting medical marijuana. Uh, obviously, we can't force him to have a special session. And uh, and the people of Mississippi will either uh, will either register to vote and vote out people who don't listen to them. Uh, or they'll just take what's delivered by people who are obviously owned by corporations. At this point, do you feel confident that Mississippi's ballot initiative process will eventually be restored to a form that broadly resembles the prior system? Really, I don't have much confidence in it. Um, Unless there's a rehearing, which has to be done within 14 days of the last hearing, so unless there's a rehearing, Uh, Before May the 27th or 28th, the ballot initiative will be dead and uh, a bandage that the the legislature puts on there means that every year they could change it. Uh, When it's protected in the Constitution, then the legislature can't pick at it and make changes to it all the time. But it took years for it to get on onto our Constitution. Uh, And according to Ronnie Musgrove, who called me yesterday, he said that we wouldn't be able to fix it and put it back on the ballot for um, for voters until 2024. That's a long way down the road to fix something that's really important to the people to have an avenue to petition our government. Kelly Jacobs is the co-chair of the Mississippi Early Voting Initiative Coalition. Kelly, thank you so very much for your time. Thank you. Coming up, a look at Mississippi's economy. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. Despite a year challenged by shutdowns, capacity restrictions, and fewer tourist-drawing events, Mississippi's economic forecast is strong. That's according to state economist Corey Miller. Miller says the early months of 2021 presented some setbacks that currently have the economy in recovery mode. But the infusion of federal dollars and lifting of restrictions create a strong outlook for the next 12 to 18 months. Well, our economy is, is in recovery. The first part of the year of, of 2021 was a little rough because of we still had relatively high numbers of, of COVID infections and, and winter severe winter weather in uh, February kind of 
put a damper on economic activity, but I think things are starting to pick up. Our, our outlook for the next uh, 12 to 18 months is relatively optimistic, uh, both for the state and the national economies. A lot of that has to do with um, vaccinations. Um, as more people get vaccinated, particularly into the second half of the year, uh, we think more and more people will resume their pre-pandemic activities and uh, more businesses will open up and be opened uh, at full capacity. And we also think people will have uh, money to spend because they've been saving money over the past few months and also because of uh, the amount of federal assistance that uh, has been provided through the federal government, through CARES Act last year, and, and most recently the uh, American Recovery Plan in March. They put a lot of, of money into um, the state and national economies. We had $3 trillion of federal support for businesses and individuals in uh, the first quarter of 2021. So there's been a, been a lot of activity and a lot of support to, to get our economy uh, going again. Was the loss of revenue during the pandemic as grave as what was expected, or was that expectation that it would be grave? Uh, initially, it, it was uh, very grim expectations um, because at, at, at the time, you know, we knew there was going to be some assistance through the federal government. We didn't know what it was going to look like or how much. Um, but uh, once things like the CARES Act got got implemented and a lot of funds got out to to states, uh, revenue picture picked up uh, considerably um, from where we were this time last year. And um, we've been we've been made whole and a little bit, probably a little bit more through those various bills. Assuming that it continues to get better and better in terms of people getting out and about and going about their lives in a normal manner, will that exponentially mean more money and more money and more money for Mississippi? Is it a win-win as we move forward, or are there financial concerns for the state? Well, I think uh, most of our forecasts are, are expecting um, the lift to be somewhat temporary uh, once the boost we've gotten from all the federal assistance and the general reopening of the economy and people uh, spending money um, getting back to where they were. We think that's kind of going to fade after, like I say, a year and a half to maybe two years, and then we may go back to more of a, a growth trend that we saw before the pandemic. So, um I think that's that's part of the issue is, is is how long does it last and what does it look like afterwards. Um, there have been some concerns about inflation lately. Um, most uh, observers are thinking it's going to be temporary for various reasons. One, people just um, getting back and spending like they were before, getting more money into the economy, maybe driving it, as well as We've had some supply chain issues in a number of sectors, uh, so we've seen demand uh, recovering faster than supply, and that that's, tends to drive up prices. Um, but uh, the Federal Reserve, as of right now, doesn't think inflation is going to be a long-term problem, and they're, they're willing to let the economy run a little hot as long as they think it's going to um, moderate 
over time. What does that mean, the economy running a little hot? In terms of inflation, we've got more activity and, and prices have are increasing somewhat rather than try to do something that would alleviate the uh, increase in prices uh, over the short term. It might also dampen economic activity. They're just going to kind of let it play itself out. Corey Miller is the state economist for Mississippi, and I thank you for that picture of Mississippi's economy, and hopefully it's all looking good moving forward. Thanks so much. Okay, so thank you. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already, and if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter, and fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.